When somebody loves you, it's no good unless he loves you. Apostle Paul was walking up and down the streets of Athens one day. Of course, Athens in this first century setting was the epicenter of philosophy and of culture in the entire known world at that time. It's where, where a lot of thinkers and writers and philosophers originated from, Athens. Well, we're told in the book of Acts, as Paul is in Athens, that his spirit is greatly provoked within him upon the observance that the entire city was full of idolatry. Now, it's said of Athens that there were more idols in this city, in this place, than there were human beings and people. And yet, as Paul stands up at the Areopagus and he addresses them, he does something very intelligent, very smart, very brilliant. Whereas he's greeting them, he does not say, you stupid, evil idiot pagans. I mean, oh boy, are you guys going to get it in hell someday. You know, he doesn't start there with them. He doesn't even go there with them. But rather what he does is he almost compliments them. He says that I can see that in all ways you are very religious people. And yet, as we all know, we need a lot more than just being religious, don't we? Well, what, what the Apostle Paul does after that is even more wise and brilliant. Where rather than quoting from, from Psalms and from the prophets as he always does any other time, as he stands up in Athens, he actually quotes two Greek philosophers and poets. One, his name is Epimenides. The other is Aretus. And these guys were rock stars in Athens in this time. They had lived and died hundreds of years before Jesus had been born. And as Paul begins speaking about Jesus, he says, and, and some of your very own poets have written that in him we move and live and that we have our being, for we are all his offspring. Now, what Paul is quoting here is not Christian art and literature. That is speaking about a Greek god Zeus, and about the constellations and all of that stuff. And yet notice what Paul is doing. He is taking their own words. He's taking a couple of these thinkers and poets. He's using their words, and he's making them to describe the love of Jesus, about a living God who is not made with, with gold or with silver, who does not dwell in temples made with human hands. It was not a Christian poem, and yet Paul recognizes that there are glimpses of truth already evident in their hearts that are just misdirected towards idols and towards the constellations and towards nature. And yet he takes those exact same words and he makes it a Christian poem. And I find that a very remarkable thing. And in fact, I'm so intrigued by that that I'm noticing that it is all around us in the world of today as well, by our own thinkers and philosophers and poets. And so I'd like to begin a series this morning that's going to run through the month of August. I would like to speak with a Bible in one hand and a record in the other hand. I'd like to call our series, 
Christian music that isn't Christian music. And each week I would like to look at one song in our American pop culture that most of us know fairly well. It's going to be secular songs and it's going to be speaking about romance or about money or about fame and it just goes on and on. But when we take those words and we borrow them, and we apply them to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden those everyday songs that we've heard all of our lives begin exquisitely reminding us of the kingdom of heaven and of the love of God in Christ Jesus. So this morning I would like to begin with, with a certain song that was originally written in 1957 for a movie called The Joker is Wild. And it was composed by a songwriting team of two men, Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen. And I'm pretty sure that you will remember and, and recognize who their client was who sang this song. His name was Frank Sinatra. And this is a song that, that everybody who is listening to this will immediately recognize because of the string section at the very beginning of the song. You see, the name of the song is All the Way. I'm not going to play the song because it's hard over the, the airwaves right now, and I'm not going to perform the song. That's even worse. Trust me, nobody wants to hear that at, at um, 11 o'clock in the morning, but I just want to read many of the words of this song for us. It says, when somebody loves you, it's no good unless he loves you all the way. Happy to be near you when you need someone to cheer you all the way. Taller than the tallest tree is, that's how it's got to feel. Deeper than the deep blue sea is, that's how deep it goes if it's real. When somebody needs you, it's no good unless she needs you all the way. Through the good or lean years, and for all of those in-between years, come what may. And then at last at the very end, it says, who knows where the road will lead us. Only a fool would say. And yet if you let me love you, it's for sure I'm going to love you all the way. All the way. And so with all of these lyrics in mind, now let's go to our text. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Deuteronomy chapter 6 was a text that we were in not that long ago, maybe a few weeks ago. Now, we might remember how in this chapter, Israel is just about to go into the promised land. God has a little bit more that, that he wants to enter into their minds before they actually go inside. And yet, what we're going to read this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, is what is known of in Judaism as, as the Shema. It is a Hebrew word which means to hear. And to most Israelites, this was the Grand Canyon. It was one of the greatest wonders in all of the scriptures, if not the greatest wonder to them. And yet it was also a prayer that many Jewish people still to this day pray multiple times a day. Jesus, while he was on the earth, prayed this prayer multiple times a day. And what it says in verse 4 is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your, your strength. 
In other words, what God is saying is that if you want to trust in my name, if you want to, to serve me and to follow me and to love me, do it all the way. Do it all the way. Amen. Taller than the tallest tree. That's how it's got to feel. Deeper than the deep blue sea. That's how deep it's got to go if it's a real love that you have for me. God says, love me with all of your heart. And that, of course, speaks about our emotions, about our hungers, about our desires and our appetites. And yet we need to love him more than just in our hearts and emotions because he also says, love me with all of your, your soul. That is who we are as people. This is our personalities, all the unique personalities that we have. This is making God our very identity and source of truth. Love me with all of your soul, he says. And then he says, love me with all of your, your strength. This is our, our energy. This is our, our heartbeat, our, our breath. This is what we live to do more than anything else in this world. This is what we, we speak about more than anything else in our lives. And a person might say, well that's, well, that's okay, but that's Old Testament though, David. We're not bound by the Old Testament anymore. And yet as Jesus comes onto the scene, as he's walking in this world, one day a person asks him a question, Jesus, what is the greatest of all of the commands? And the way that he answers is he recites a prayer. He recites Shema as he says, that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. But it's interesting how in the Gospels, Jesus adds another one of those to that list. Where he says, also, love the Lord your God with all of your mind. This is speaking to what we really ponder about, what we think about. This is speaking about the human imagination, what we daydream about. This is what we meditate on as absolute truth that we will, we will rely upon through those hard times and good times alike. So really what he's saying is that if you want to love me, if you want to, to um, walk in my steps and to serve me, do so with all of your heart. Do so with every fiber of your existence as a human being. And as we read these three and these four qualities about how we are to love God, it's so evident to us, isn't it? How this is exactly how God loves us. As the Apostle John writes later on in his life, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And behold, that is what we are. Happy to be near us and to cheer us or to calm us or to forgive us or to save us. And it's true that Jesus never said, I love you to a single person in the Gospels. That, that never came out of Jesus' mouth. He never said, I love you to somebody. And yet if we look at his actions, everything that Jesus did screamed, I love you to anyone and everyone who was in his path. See, it was not merely that Jesus cried when a friend of his died. But in the original language, as Jesus stands at the tomb of Lazarus, what this means is loud 
ugly, crying, wailing lamentation. And it's so loud and it's so heartfelt that, that many people who were standing there with Jesus observe and they remark to one another, see how he loved him. And I love those words so much. See how Jesus loved Lazarus. On, on at least two occasions as Jesus stands at the temple and he notices how the Gentile minorities are being shoved out of the only worship space that they have with all the buying and the selling going on. Jesus spends three hours coming to their defense. As we see Jesus making a whip of cords for three hours, and he drives everybody out of the court of the Gentiles, lets, lets them eventually return inside the court of the Gentiles. And I mean, anybody who was standing there watching as Jesus cleared that temple on two occasions would have said, see how he loves them. See how much Jesus cares for these people who nobody else really cares about. And yet, it was not merely that Jesus had prayed in Gethsemane or that he went to the cross, but Jesus sweat drops of blood loving us. Jesus spent six hours on a cross, slowly suffocating to a very slow, excruciating death. And all six of those hours and, and all of those moments that he spent in Gethsemane, what, what he was screaming to the world and to the entire human family was, I love you. I love you. I love you. And anybody who was there at the foot of the cross could have said, see how he loves us. See how he loves us. No, when God forgives us, it is no good unless he forgives us all of the way. Imagine if God was, was a God who said, you know what, I can help you with most of those sins that you've committed. But what you did in 1987, that is just so horrible that my blood can't exactly wash all of that nastiness away. So, so good luck. You're just going to have to get it forgiven another way. But I'm, you know, I can get most of your, your sins forgiven. And yet rather, what we read in Scripture, in the words of the prophet Micah, is that he, is, he has taken all of our sins and he has cast them down into the deepest, most remotest part of the sea. King David writes in Psalm 103 that he has separated us from our sins as far as the east is from the west, as far as Hong Kong is from New York City. So far has he separated us from our sins. Amen. No, when God loves us, it is no good unless he loves us all the way. And it's not just for his chosen people, Israel, is it? It's also for us Gentile minorities that, that it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. No, Jesus does not merely love us, but he loves us with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and with all of the strength that created a universe. And I believe what he's saying to the whole entire world through the pages of his scriptures is, if you will just let me be your Lord, your Savior, your muse and your hero and your life, I'm, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to rescue you all 
the way. And yet, as we read this, though, it's a very disturbing thought, though, isn't it? That it's a given. I mean, it's obvious that this is how God loves us. But, but what God is actually saying here is that, and now, go and do likewise. Love me and love all of your neighbors. Love your, your spouse and your friends and your enemies all the way, he's saying. All the way. And this seems to be our greatest struggle as human beings, doesn't it? I mean, there are some of our own poets who have said that who knows where the road will lead us. Only a fool would say. For a lot of people, where those roads have brought us are to pink slips. Well, we just bought a house two months ago and there's a baby on the way. It's divorce papers when... We were the innocent party. We did nothing to cause that divorce. It's a cancer diagnosis when it felt like everything was just perfect in our lives. It's people in our life, in our pathway, who are inflicting intentional harm and malicious harm upon us. And I mean, when we begin trusting in Jesus, when we came up from the waters of baptism, we had so much elation welling up inside of us. We would go up to anybody and say, Jesus Christ is the love of this world. And yet the more that we live in this world, the more that we struggle, the more that we ache, so often, really, the more we can feel that love for Jesus Christ dwindling and evaporating into smoke. See, I think that there's a reason why Jesus likens his church and her relationship with, with him to any other marriage between a husband and a wife. Because when a man is courting a woman, it is, I mean, she is all that he can ever think about. She is haunting his every waking moment to where he can't sleep at night, but when he does fall asleep, she is his last thought. When he wakes up early in the morning, she is the only thing that's on his mind. As he works all day, again, she's the only thing on his mind. And all that he is living for is, I, I have got to possess her the way that she's possessing me. And I mean, when he finally sees her, his, his heart is, is accelerating and he acts erratically. I mean, it's almost the behavior of a drug addict almost. What love does to us when we truly love somebody like that it is exhilarating and yet so oftentimes after a man has courted a woman all the way to the altar after he has sought her and pursued her with all of his heart with all of his soul with all of his strength and with all of his mind i mean you got to come home from the honeymoon eventually you got to come down from the mountaintop you can't stay in maui forever after all and unfortunately, as you return home from the honeymoon, you are going right back into work, into bills, into debts, into world, world affairs that are, are uh, distressing. And so oftentimes, tragically, what unfolds is a spouse just stops seeking and pursuing the heart of their spouse deeper. And they just kind of go into autopilot and the love grows very cold. And their spouse becomes a glorified roommate. Or maybe life gets in the way sometimes. 
I'll never forget a number of years ago, a man that had said that you used to love people so much when I fell in love with you. And yet ever since, quite a few people have, have brought harm upon you. And you have just grown so embittered towards many people. Your heart is being so hardened right now by this. I miss the guy who I had said yes to when he proposed to me. I want that guy to be here again. And I think about that constantly. Now that is what is haunting me. Now I want to um, seek being that guy all over again before the world harmed me and hardened me and made me bitter. And Jesus writes to a church at Ephesus and he says that you are saying and doing all the right things. You, you are so active and busy. You got all of the productivity in the world, but, but you no longer love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've turned into the tin man. You are all head but no heart. Your relationship is no longer with me and my word and my spirit. It's with how active you are. And it's with how much work you're doing. That's good, but that's what your relationship is now. And Jesus says to them, you know what? I miss those guys and those ladies so much who you used to be when you came up out of the waters of baptism. I miss them so much. And yet then Jesus uses a very strong word where he says, repent. Change the way that you're thinking and become those people who you used to be. Because if you don't, I'm going to shut you down. Or in other words, if you're going to love me, if you're going to serve me, it's no good unless you love me and you serve me with all of your heart and all of the way, Jesus says. You see, as it pertains to loving God in this way, all the way, the only way that we can ever do this is if we never stop pursuing knowing Him deeper and deeper and deeper than we did the day before and the hour before. It is where we want more than anything else in this world to fall deeper in love with His gospel, with His words, with His spirit, and with His presence. And I mean, I can already hear all of the questions in everybody's minds. Okay, David, but, but, but I mean, how do we love God like that? What practical ways can we love God all of the way as he is desiring from his people? Well, in our text here, Deuteronomy chapter 6, what I hear God saying to his people in so many other words is don't merely rely on the sound of Moses' voice when he gives you my instruction, but rather take those instructions to heart and then take them home with you, he's saying. As our text continues there in Deuteronomy 6, he continues and he says in verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them in a diligent manner to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. 
You see, I believe what he's saying to his people here is, if you want to love me all the way, you've got to reorient the way that you think. It requires letting me and my goodness and my love dominate your conversations. That we need to have lives that are revolving, that are orbiting around the goodness of Jehovah God. And so what he is, is saying to them is have verbal reminders. Whoever you are living with, constantly in a very diligent way, speak about my love and my goodness morning, afternoon, and night. Every living generation, children, grown men, and those who are elderly, speak about my goodness morning, afternoon, and night. But he also says have visual reminders. And, of course, this is in a time before most people had libraries of books in their houses. And so what he's saying is, I need you to put this into writing and have reminders everywhere that you look, on your doorpost, on the gates of your homes. And sure enough, every Jewish home had scripture on, or in these places as a, as a constant reminder, constantly, love God, love God, love God. He also says, have it on your hands and even between your eyes. And, and to make a very long story short, what this is in reference to are these little um, box-like objects that they had later on, where they would write quotations of scripture as they went to morning prayer. And so the idea is to constantly immerse yourself in the words of Jesus and to hide them in your hearts. And yet notice in verse 6, though, what precedes as we need to absolutely need to be instructing others in a diligent way in our homes. Verse 6, what we see is we, we have got to be also instructing our own selves in a very diligent way. Where he says, and these words that I command you here today shall be on your hearts. And so what we learn here is that we are what we consume. And I mean, if all that we ever do on a nightly basis is watch four or five hours of sports and news, sports and news, sports and news, we're going to sound just like ESPN and MSNBC and not so much like Jesus Christ. And yet if the majority of our thinking, of our meditation is, is on the words of life, on the goodness of God, even as we, we indulge in a little bit of this world and a little bit of the news as we, we must we're going to sound more and more like Jesus Christ in these very high um, tension conversations that are, are, um, are um, happening and being had. See, what he's saying is take every opportunity to remind ourselves as well as everyone who we live with that God is a God who is to be loved with every fiber of our existence as people. And in the churches of Christ, it is very well-intentioned. And yet so oftentimes what we, we do with a person who is not yet a Christian is we just give them five steps. You've got to believe, you've got to confess, you've got to repent, you've got to be baptized, and so forth. Absolutely true. And yet so oftentimes we neglect the most important component that all of this begins and ends with, and that is loving God all of the way. Loving God more than life itself. So as we bring this to a close here this morning,
What I want to invite you to as well as I myself to is to seek Him as we did in the very beginning just before we went to the waters of baptism. What I want to invite us to is to have a visual reminder, actually create a visual reminder in your home and put it up on the refrigerator perhaps or in the visor of your car, maybe even on on a bedside table, wherever we are constantly going to, to run into it. And I created one here this morning, and it is, is a note card I'm going to have on a refrigerator, if, if Amanda's going to allow me to. And it says, instead of Israel, it says, Hear, O David and Amanda, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and so forth. And I'm going to be looking at that. Amanda's going to be looking at that 12, 15, 20 times a day, every time that we walk into the room. It's going to be on our minds and our hearts. And yet, lastly, what I want to invite us to is to look for opportunities to fill our our houses and our conversations with the goodness of God. Work Him into our conversations. I was listening to my iPod early this morning as I woke up, and it was one of Frank Sinatra's concerts, as a matter of fact. It was just before he came out onto the stage and started singing. But his orchestra started playing those famous strings to all the way. And as I heard that string section playing all the way at the beginning of that beautiful song, tears started welling up in my eyes and falling down my face. And I think that's because it was no longer a Frank Sinatra song to me anymore. But I heard it and I thought, that is Deuteronomy 6. That is the Shema. That is the love of God. That is how much I need to love God. And at this very moment in time, God is crying out to us and he's crying out to everybody who who will hear him in his word that you don't even know where this road is going to lead, and only a fool would would speculate about that. And yet if you want to love me and serve me and follow me, love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. No, this is not a Christian song. And yet then again, it is. Where the road Only a fool would say If you let me love you It's for sure I'm gonna love you All the way